Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hints of Gladness podcast. My name is Rod Jans. My guest today is Esther Hiza. Esther was a recent guest, but uh, in the process, I realized that Esther has written a new book and thought that we should dedicate a podcast to talking just about that. So let me reintroduce Esther. Esther lives in Burnaby, BC with her husband, Fred, and they have two grown children and two grandchildren. Esther works as a spiritual director and a writer. She was trained in, as a spiritual director by Soulstream in 2007 to 2010. As a side note, Esther and I happened to take our spiritual direction training together, and that's when we became close friends. In 2013, she was trained to give the Ignatian spiritual exercises, and she's a member of the Jesuit Spirituality Apostolate of Vancouver. And she puts in brackets. That's just a fancy name for a group of us who have been trained to give the spiritual exercises. Esther's also a facilitator in Soulstream's spiritual formation course, Living from the Heart. She facilitates retreats and she preaches occasionally. We've been doing a series on contemplation and I think Esther's books fit perfectly because they're a reflection on her own spiritual life, contemplative practices, and experiences with the God of her understanding. Her first book, Stories of an Everyday Pilgrim, was published in 2015. The second one, A Seed Cracked Open, Stories of an Everyday Pilgrim, Volume 2, was published in 2019. And then her most recent book is called In the Heart of the Beloved, Stories of an Everyday Pilgrim, Volume 3. I always really enjoy spending time with Esther and with her husband, Fred. <laughs> I hope you'll enjoy our conversation as we talk about writing and the story behind the story of writing her most recent book and her past books. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hints of Gladness podcast. As you would have heard in my introduction, my guest today is Esther Hija. <laughs> is that good, Esther? Tell That's good. You got it. You got it right. Okay. Thank you. I've known Esther for uh, maybe 20 years or something, and I just found out that I've probably been pronouncing her name wrong. Or you're here with me. I've been pronouncing your name wrong all these years. And we're still friends. <laughs> You never corrected me, so <laughs> I'm off the hook a little bit. <laughs> yes, you are. Definitely. We just did. We just had a conversation about contemplation and we just posted that. So if people want, they can go back and take a, have a listen to that. And Esther just told me that she's going to post some of that on her Everyday Pilgrim blog. And we'll get to that in a sec. But before we dive into anything else, I love knowing the story behind the story. And I, I, I actually start a lot of my podcast interviews that way just by asking people like how did they become what they are and i and you do you wear a number of different hats but one of them is is a writer so i'm curious just what what was your writing journey like like have you always wanted to be a writer or what was the, what, how did what's the story behind the story yeah i think the short answer is yes <clears throat> that i've always i've always liked the idea of expressing myself in some creative way 
writing either in songs or in poetry or stories. And um, even I remember sitting out on the front when we, I grew up in Ontario and sitting with my guitar on the front steps and just singing songs and songs that I wrote. And I just love the idea of, of just expressing something going on inside me, what I notice and having it just come out in words that kind of work. And so it, so it's been a journey and, and it kind of keeps going underground because it's like, you know, how do you make a living from as a writer? And, and I never had the confidence, I think, to really pursue it. It had always seemed to be more practical to, um, to do something like, you know, first I was a nurse and then I'm a pastor and, and, and then when I went to Regent College, we had to do, I did a, a course with Lauren Wilkinson, the Christian imagination, and I had to do a project for it and I wrote something for it. And that really sparked, yeah, I, I love writing and I want to do more of this. And then when I did the Ignatian spiritual exercises, that came to the, to the front of my awareness about, cause I was working as a spiritual director, mostly as a pastor, spiritual director. And then I did some little bit of writing, but it, it, as I spent more time with the awareness exam and I realized my joy came from writing and, and that what would it be like to trust God to let go of my paid job and spend time in writing? And, and then, so when I did, and then I, I published my first book of stories that I've been going to a writer's group with, my friend said, you look so much happier. <laughs> it was like okay so now i yeah so that's kind of been a long journey where i'm a late bloomer i like that I, i'm being encouraged by my coach right now actually it, it has come up in my business coaching which ends up being a lot like spiritual direction uh-huh. it's just to pursue my you know my joy and you know life, life is short <laughs> why keep struggling and doing yeah. a bunch of things that you don't enjoy so that exactly that's an interesting statement that that writing brings you joy yeah and that you're pursuing it yeah yeah cool. esther could you tell us about your process your writing process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure so one of the things that's in place for me is that i i my it's my spiritual practice and in my in my rule of life to publish a, a post at four o'clock on friday I mean, I, a little bit like if it's not exactly four o'clock, I don't worry about it, but, but that's the basic plan. And so I know that's there. That's, so I'm sort of going from back to front. The process has, was at the beginning was just, was just like, oh, I thought, well, if I write something, that would be good. And then as I kept showing up to it and doing it, even on time at times when I didn't know what I was going to write. I would notice that this was some way that God was going to meet me too. So it was doing something that I love, but it's also God doing it with me. So I'm feeling like, like God's with me in this. So what I look for is what I notice bubbling up in my life that week. What has got my attention? Like sometimes it's an argument. Sometimes it's a, a, an aha moment. Sometimes it, it's, it's anyway, it can be different things. And then I just start writing about it and just see what happens as I write about it. And, and the writing of it usually deepens the experience. And I worry about, is this going to make any sense to anyone else? Is it going to be relevant to anyone else? 
And I also worry about, will I offend someone if I write about something? Like I've had people say, don't write about me on your blog. And I'm like, okay. So yeah. So, and then I just find those things just kind of work out as I just trust and the words somehow come and Fred helps me with editing and we, we find a way forward. So sometimes I do blog posts and I queue them up ahead of time. And a lot of times I'm writing them the week that it's happening. So. And you have a commitment to write every day as well, right? Like you, no, actually I don't have oh. a commitment to write every day. I don't have a commitment okay. to be outside every day, but. Outside uh, every day. Yeah. So I just, but in the morning, if in the morning, I try to set some time aside to look at my blog post. So, but no, I don't, I, sometimes I don't do it every day, but I'll get like, if I can just get the draft done and then the next day I'll go back and read it again and listen to what I'm saying and go back to it so that it's got a few revisions before I I posted on Friday. Cool. You started a blog called An Everyday Pilgrim. How long ago did you start that? Yeah. So I, in 2013, well, by in 2013, I'd already got the stories together for my first book, which was finally got the title Stories of an Everyday, Everyday Pilgrim. Okay. And so I needed a platform. So, so my niece, who's actually kind of famous, she has the dog shaming website which kind of went viral and she just lived up the street from me she says auntie i'll help you and so she helped me get started on my blog and so that sort of gave me a way to get known and then i just knew you know learned that you need to publish something every week so i so i started doing that Mm -hmm. what drew you to that title i i it's it's like i like it like it's an Mm -hmm. engaging title and it means a lot just on its own you know like because mm-hmm. we're all sort of yeah pilgrims, and it, it kind of to me it, it sort of speaks to the ordinariness of of life and the journey, which isn't all spectacular yes <laughs> things all the time, right? And epiphanies and revelation and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's it's yeah. quite ordinary and everyday. So, what what drew you to the title? Well, I think all the things that you're saying is what what drew me is I wanted to express. What am I noticing in my everyday life? What the, I mean, the the cover of the first book is a daisy. It's because it's an ordinary flower. It's you see it so frequently, and and how, and yet our 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 lives are a gospel story that says so much. Everybody's life is, and so to just share that, and not not and not all the the great and wonderful things, but the difficult things as well, and how God was with me in those too. So that's that, yeah, that, that was the, and then that scripture about a heart set on pilgrimage kind of brought me to tears. And that's like, okay, I think I got it. Because <laughs> we, we had a lot of false starts with titles. <laughs> Fred stopped getting excited about them because he's like, okay, no, this is going to last a week. <laughs> Fred's my husband, by the way, for those that don't know. A heart set on pilgrimage. Do you recall what verse that is or where that's? Oh, yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's Psalm. Let's see. It'd be right here. Psalm 84, 5. Excellent. Yeah. So you've written three books. You just released the third. And yeah. that we go through them book by book. <laughs> sure. The first book was, as we've been talking about, stories of an everyday 
Pilgrim. And first of all, is there anything you want to tell us about that book? And I think you have something to read I do. from that I book, do. which is really cool. So, yeah. yeah. So this book is different from the other two because it's, oh, there, there might be a few pieces that are published on my blog, but this was before my blog. So there, so it's looking back from around 2013, 12, 2012, back over the span of my life, what stories really stay, have stayed with me. And, and it's really the story of the beginning of my contemplative journey. And then the other two books are, are published blog posts. So uh, you, you do have something to read from. I do. Yeah. I do. And it's actually that story of a heart set on pilgrimage. Oh, nice. So, so if you're ready, I'll just read it now. Go for it. Okay. <clears throat> a heart set on pilgrimage. Saturday mornings, my mother used to pile us into the car and drive to town. While my older brother and sister had accordion lessons, mom took my little brother and me shopping. Our favorite store, the only one I clearly remember, was the European delicatessen. I can still see the grooves in the worn wooden floor and Swiss chocolate lined up next to jars of fruit-flavored candies. Wedges of cheese were displayed behind glass and dried sausages hung from the ceiling. The smells, oh, the aromas that teased me as I watched thin pieces of salami fall from the slicer and as I opened the bin of crusty buns. Finally, back at the car, my mom reached into the brown paper bag she carried and handed me a bun. Wait here, she said, and took my brother with her to fetch our siblings. You could do that in those days. No one thought twice about leaving a five-year-old alone for a few minutes. Too nice a day to sit in the car, I leaned against it and dug out the middle of my bun. After I stuck it on my thumb and finished it off, I didn't know what else to do with myself. So I put one hand on the light post and swung around it. I sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. As I sang, the words twirled with me, and I forgot I was waiting to go home. I felt like I had already come home to someone big and important, and that someone loved me. All the voices that told me otherwise flew far, far away. I knew what I knew. Wait with me, God said. I heard the invitation again and again throughout my life, and sometimes I lingered with God, but most times I didn't. I had too many things to do. At 48, I was finishing a theology degree when a friend told me he had spent six hours alone with God and Henry Nouwen's The Way of the Heart. When I heard how my friend was both shaken and taken by the experience, I wanted to go and be with God too. Yet I had responsibilities of a job and family and assignments too. How could I possibly get away? But when I accidentally deleted one of my essays, I knew I needed a break. You can't give what you haven't got, a preacher from Ghana once repeated a dozen times in the same sermon. I'm thinking of going to Rivendell, I said to my husband, Fred. Just overnight, what do you think? That sounds like a good idea, he said. Would you like me to drive you to the ferry? A few days later, I carried my backpack up Cates Hill on Bowen Island to Rivendell Retreat Center. I opened Nowen's little book and read, prayed, and waited in the silence. For the first time, I prayed without words and simply rested in God. You look different, Fred said when he picked me up from the, the next day. I felt different. My heart was set on pilgrimage. God was calling me to explore the height 
depth and breadth of what I knew when I was five. Jesus loves me. Nice. I was wondering how you're going to bring that around. <laughs> Jesus loves me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know from your story that a, a number of those things that you just described there are, are seminal moments. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what, what has, I mean, you mentioned it, Jesus loves me. I'm just wondering that, that story that you shared of swinging around the pole, like, yeah. How, what, what stayed with you regarding that story? What, what stayed with you the most? Well, there's a couple of things that stayed with me. One was that experience of just that sense of being so loved. It was a felt sense in my body. And the other thing was what I say in the story was, um, and all the other voices that said otherwise. So that's sort of a wonderful, sad moment because at five, I already heard other voices that said otherwise, whether I internalized things that were actually meant to be said to me or what, but, but at five years old, I already felt like I wasn't worthy. I wasn't, I, I didn't belong. And so my journey in pilgrimage is, is a journey of, with my fear of rejection and my experiences of rejection and God's loving me and healing that and bringing me back into wholeness so that I can still, like, I don't have to be stuck in that place. And be and be controlled by those those voices. And at Rivendale, was it? Did you come across that verse in Psalm eighty four five about the, the pilgrimage? Or? I'm not sure where that that landed, but it kind of it's my sense of how God works. It's just kind of weaves things in when I need them, and it's like, <laughs> I I really do. I've already mentioned this, but I really do love this idea of the sort of the everyday ordinary. Yeah. A pilgrimage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and just speaking personally, it's because I think I was conditioned and brought up in such an environment for achievement and success and doing yeah. great things. Right. Yes. But when you hear quotes from like Mother Teresa, you know, doing little things with a lot of love or yeah. Therese, the St. Saint, Saint Therese yeah. and her little way. <laughs> yeah. Her yeah. path of, about the great. little way. And I think that helped me actually, I mean, it took a long time, it took a long time for it to sink in, but I think one of the things that kept me from writing and investing in my writing was because it felt like it wasn't going to make an income and it wasn't going to have a big Im impact. So just hearing that, doing small things, just do, being who I am and let that have the impact that it does. So my blog, I don't have thousands of followers, but but I do have people that say, hey, that really spoke to me. And that, and they go, wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So just having that approach, even to your writing, like yes. you're not doing this for success. No. It's just a part of your journey. It brings you joy. And it obviously brings joy to others. It is nice when people come, come up to you and say, once in a while, not that you're doing it for that, but it is, yeah. it is affirming, isn't it? It's like, well, yeah. okay. I, I, it, sometimes it's, it's just a little bit of, gas that you need to keep in the engine to keep going isn't it right because we're so geared to unless it you know how much are we producing what you know all that stuff mm -hmm. and and to just let go of that and go but this is just something that gives life yeah to, to yourself and others myself and 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 it gives god pleasure the other book that you have mentioned is or written is called a seed cracked open Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, have some 
personal experience with this book, the, the picture on the cover <laughs> that you got permission to use. Yes. And, and I know you're going to read from that one as well, but maybe just give us a little bit of background sure. into this book. It sounds like this is where you began to, your blog posts became also the material for your books. Yeah. So I think it was 2014, I was asked to work with Jeff Imbachens and Doug Schroeder at, for a partner gathering on, we're introducing a contemplative response to the world. And so we, we wanted a, a poem and a picture that would express that. And so I came across this picture by Michael Cook, and which is actually called Night Prayer. And, 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 he's, and it's like Jesus is laying down and cradling this tiny plant, which, which is like God protecting this, this contemplative response to the world that we have. And it's also, it relates to a seed. And so that poem, Seed Cracked Open, really talks about what love, what waking up and finding God is there with me and what love mischief can we do for the world today? So I've been writing my blog already. And then after that experience, and I got permission from Daniel Ladinsky to do, to use Seed Cracked Open and from Michael Cook using his painting, I then I started putting at the end of my blog, Love Mischief for the World. And then I just jot down something that's going on that seems to be of goodness to the world or others. And that's been a fun thing to share at the bottom of my posts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I share about hints of gladness. <laughs> Your love, <laughs> Jeff Rod. <laughs> well, it very, it very much is sort of a hints of gladness kind of thing, isn't it? I saw somewhere, and it's, it's, it's not by coincidence at all, but that someone was saying that the Sufi writers, they, they talked about hints of the beloved. I just read that wow. recently. That's so went, oh, wow. What, a, what an excellent parallel there, right? Because I think hits of gladness are hits of the beloved and yeah. these little yeah. <laughs> love mischief. I mean, ever since I was at that retreat where you shared the picture and the poem, mm-hmm. and that has stuck with me ever since. And I, I was talking to someone just the other day about, and use, and about the phrase love mischief, and, and they, they love that that saying, I can yeah. just spoke to them. So I, I think you have something to read from a Seed Cracked Open as well. So yeah, this, this story is, well, it sort of speaks for itself. It's one of those moments like swinging around the lamppost that has really stayed with me and, and I love returning to it. It's called The Unending Miracle of Love. My heart was strangely warmed, John Wesley wrote at Aldersgate in 1738, when he knew for certain that he was saved. Two travelers on the road to Emmaus had a similar experience. While they didn't recognize the risen Christ walking with them, their hearts knew. They said later, were not our hearts burning with us while we walked with, while he walked with us on the road? and open the scriptures to us. I know what they're talking about because I've experienced that strange feeling in my heart. A sudden warm spaciousness fills my chest and elicits a tear or two whenever I sense that something is true and very important to God. The important truth that sets my heart ablaze now is in these words from the cloud of unknowing. And here's a quote. It is God and he alone which who can fully satisfy the hunger and longing of our spirit, 
which transformed by God's redeeming grace, is enabled to embrace him by love. I have often imagined God embracing me, but me embrace God? The mystic continued, No no one can fully comprehend the uncreated God with his knowledge, but each one in a different way can grasp him fully through love. I pictured our six-year-old grandson. He was draped over Fred one Sunday in church and his soft cheek pressed against my husband's leathery one. One hand was cupped under his opus chin and the other, fingers splayed, was buried in Fred's thick hair and massaging his scalp. A woman on the worship team looked up from her djembe drum and seeing such a display of affection was brought to tears. And and then this quote by the Cloud of Unknowing, Truly this is the unending miracle of love, that one loving person through his love can embrace God, whose being fills and transcends the entire creation. I close my eyes and open my heart to the image and words of the mystic. I imagine myself embracing God, my father, my mother. For a sacred, eternal moment, I rest my cheek on my Abba's leathery face and encircle God's neck with my arm. My spirit is satisfied as I caress God's temple and soak up love soak up love's sighs with my fingers. Afterward, when I return to that thought, when sorry, afterward, when I return to that thought of embracing God or the image of my grandson and Fred, my heart is strangely warmed again. Truly this is an unending miracle. Thank you. It is an interesting question or dilemma that you bring up. Like <laughs> sure, God Loving us, but us loving God. You know? Oh, <laughs> and then you got this mystic from like hundreds of years ago. Hence the he for God. But yeah, yeah, and that we can embrace God, and that's what happens when we do centering prayer. Mm-hmm. We're actually embracing God. Like whoa, mm-hmm. yeah, because the cloud of unknowing is the text that Keating and Basil Pennington and I forget the Menninger I think used. Right. To revive the centering prayer practice. Yeah. And they, they talk about, you know, setting your intention, your intention when you do centering prayer. Yeah. Yeah. It has to do with, with love and yes. being open, being aware. I was listening to, I know you listen to podcasts too, but James Finley's recent podcast where he looks, he talks about the mystics. Yeah. And he did a, a session on, he did one episode on centering prayer. And it just, it's just one of those things that kind of reset centering prayer for me, which was to, again, set that intention of, yeah. of love for God. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I still, I can so easily get caught up in that question. And maybe that's why it jumped down at me like, okay, yeah. God loving me, sure, but loving God, <laughs> I think it's just one of those things that, yeah. that helps or opens us up maybe to... Yeah to God's love as well, yeah. kind of like a reciprocal relationship. We almost have to do it in faith. Do you, do you think, or what, what's, what's involved there? <laughs> I, think, I think it's just those moments in which, and sometimes it's a desperate moment, like, like waking up in the middle of the night, like struggling with negative thoughts again, and I just can't sleep. And then I just, I, I've just come back to prayer. And then I'm, I look at an icon. I have an icon that's an old Russian icon of, baby Jesus 
and cuddling up to Mary and and sometimes just sitting with that it just gives me that same sense and and, and it doesn't happen all the time sometimes I just wake in the middle of the night and play Scrabble because I can't sleep but you know but sometimes there's these invitations to and I think those virtual practices make space for those things to happen yeah precisely and it's a lot easier when we sense God's love for us like those gifts yeah. of grace it's like okay yeah like like scripture says, God's the initiator yeah. of love. And when we actually experience that, then that's like yeah. a, lot, a lot easier. It Take, yeah. takes the mystery out of it. It's like, yeah. oh, it's yeah. just your natural response. Is, mm-hmm. oh. And I think even though I chose two stories that were like personal, quiet times like that, the, the books have a wide range of where I encounter God. And it's like, there's one story about about how I accidentally get went into a men's washroom and that was embarrassing, you know, like crazy, so crazy things like that. So, so it, 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 you know, so for people that might think, oh no, I can't relate to, to Esther because she has these like mountaintop experiences. Well, I, I think, I think you'll find yourself somewhere in my book. Like, like we kind of said off the top, it's the, it's the, you're talking about lots of ordinary. Experience. Lots of ordinary, lots of ordinary things that happen. Sure. Like one is a story about like my nephew coming over and he helps himself food. And I'm like, wow, I get all grumbly. And then my son says, well, didn't you say he could help himself? And then I'm like so embarrassed because I, I said it, but I couldn't do it. And then what happened next? You know, just these common things. One of, one of my favorite poems is by Marie Howe. And I can't remember it right now, but she's talking about how her, her brother, got AIDS in the seventies, which was basically a death sentence. Like they didn't have kinds of medication and stuff that they have now where you can live a long life with it. And her poem was all about being aware of the ordinary things. Like it talks about cheese and mustard sandwiches and <laughs> stuff like that. Like just being, just being open and aware of just the ordinary, ordinary yeah. types of things. Yeah. And then your third book, which you've just released, is yeah. In the Heart of the Beloved. Yeah. And all of these have are stories of the everyday pilgrims. Yes. Yeah. volume three. Mm-hmm. And you have something to read from that. I do. And this kind of gives you an idea of, of like me more in the everyday. So it, it follows the story of my experience when I first became a facilitator in Living from the Heart. And... <clears throat> And how I kept, like, I kept, and the story is in, in a different blog post that I'm not going to read, but it talks about, it's called Undoing My Life. And it talks about how I can't get a, through, like, not, I wanted to get through a week intensive of living, doing living from the heart without making so many mistakes. And then I just wanted one day where I didn't make mistakes. And it was like, no, that's not going to happen. And, and then I realized at the end of the week that God was, was letting us happen. So I could, every time I, messed up, I kept being met with with love and grace from my co-facilitators, Jeff and Deb. And and so I had this this experience of God sort of undoing, like doing my life with this identity of the rejected one. And so this blog post that this story, Love is a Risky Business, comes comes out like not right after, but a, a few months after that. So 
So I'll, I'll, I'll read that now. <clears throat> Love is a risky business. In the blog post, Undoing My Life, I, talk, <clears throat> I talked about a time when I kept expecting to be rejected, but encountered love and acceptance instead. The experience was wonderful and scary. As the rejected one, I protected my heart from the inevitable pain of being discovered to be less than I should be. When God undid that persona, I was able to let down my guard and trust that my colleagues and friends, Deb and Jeff, really do love me. Believing that makes me vulnerable. What if they don't love me that much? What if they read this and feel bound by it? And what if they can't keep loving me? It's like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade when he finds himself trapped on the edge of a mountain with a deep chasm below. To get to the other side, he must step out into thin air, trusting there will be something solid under his feet to support him. He takes one step, then another. We hold our breath and watch until he reaches the other side, where he hopes to find the Holy Grail. What I hope to find on the other side is a trust in God's love that is so solid that I'm not so afraid of rejection. But to get there, I must teeter in midair, heart pounding, hands trembling, relying on the faith to believe I am loved. I don't know which comes first. Does an experience of love's does an experience of God's love enable us to be vulnerable with others, or does being loved by others open us to God? Either way, whether it's trusting an invisible deity or somewhat unreliable human beings, love is a risky business. But I've said it before: I'm not going back, not to Egypt and not to the security of being the rejected one. And the scripture I had with that was from Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah, love is a risky business. eh? Yeah, I I remember when that happened, and I went to my uh, my spiritual director, who is also a soul stream partner and and was a facilitator when I did the course. And I said, they've accepted me. I'm, I'm, I've, I'm, my discernment's over. I'm, I'm a full facilitator. And, and she says, that's wonderful. And I said, and I said, she says, how do you feel about it? I said, scares the hell out of me. I remember that saying that like, oh man. So, yeah. And, and I know from you and from being in conversations with you, you've had to work through a lot of, thoughts and feelings about oh yeah rejection and fears of being oh yeah did right yeah would you say that's become a little bit of your the fodder for your deepening spiritual walk or your pilgrimage like has it become i think so i think that that my they always say writers write one 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 story and they just write it in different ways and and so that story for me is like just how much I am loved and cared for by God. And, and it's like the more I go in my life, the more I find it's, it's even richer and deeper and more encompassing than I ever thought. Not that God protects me from things, but, but God's going, where, where you go, I will find you and, 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 I will, and, and I'll love you there. And that releases me from that. From, from the fears that I have. Not totally. I mean, 
so it's like, okay, we go around again. And, uh, you know, and, and so, so I've, I, with this journey, so yeah, it would, it would be my, I, I want to say it's the theme is about being loved more than it's about living with the fear of rejection. That's part of it. But what I've noticed is that as I, God meets me in these places of, of where I've been rejected or hurt or perceived rejection and I lived through it, God's like, there, there you go. You know, remember last time we lived through this and we'll be okay. And in the meantime, I'll hold your hand. I think one of the most comforting things that I've heard from God are words like, when I say how awful something is, I hear, I know, I know, and this is hard. Whew, that compassion. In the heart of the beloved, stories of an everyday pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. Great, great title. And yeah, it comes from Nan Merrill's translation of the 23rd Psalm. Oh, okay. It's the last line. And I shall dwell in the heart of the beloved forever. Oh, that's how she's interpreted it or paraphrased it. Yes. Yeah. So I got permission to use that too. It's in the oh. book. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Well, thanks again, Esther. It's always great to talk. You're one of my pals. <laughs> thanks for asking me. This is so great. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to get together with you and, and to be able to chat with you. And thank you for writing your books and oh, for sharing. It, I know like it takes a lot of courage to put this kind of stuff out into the world and to do yeah. what you're doing. So yeah. thank you for having the courage to do that. Thank you. And thanks for asking. Oh, you're welcome. If people want to find out more about Esther and order her books, you're on, you're on Amazon, I think. I am. My yeah. books are available on Amazon. Right. So you can go to my website. Yeah. Go to Esther's Maybe. website. Esther Hija is E-S-T. H E R H I Z or Z S A dot com. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or something like that, we'll have all of this listed in our show notes. So, yeah. Thanks again. Thanks, Rod. <laughs>